tell us about this lovely staircase. It's really quite impressive. Um, this is the main staircase of Down House. Um, this is the inner hall that we're standing in, I suppose the hub of the home in many ways. Um, also a space co-opted by Darwin's children. Um, as we mentioned, there were many of them. They were boisterous. As Victorian parents, Emma and Charles were relatively permissive and actually very encouraging of play. So something that Charles Darwin actually did was commission a slide for the stairs. So um, it is upstairs in the schoolroom and we can, uh, visitors can see it today. We don't have it on the stairs because it would rather stop you from walking up them. Yeah, you could slide down them. That would just <laughs> be so much fun. So he went to a man called Mr. Lewis in Down Village, a local carpenter, and said, um, can you uh, make me a very simple slide? It's just a wooden trough that you can uh, put on the stairs and it would uh, allow the children to put their bums on a... Uh, on a Right. On a, well, on a cushion, really. Okay. Mm. Then you grab that and you slide down the stairs. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Wish we could try that. That's kind of the, the first seriously unexpected uh, thing to come out of today, that. Good. Uh, in the meantime, we're surrounded by uh, portraits, pictures, a rather lovely grandfather clock, uh, a portrait of Darwin himself, which you might tell us a tiny bit about, a bust, is that him as well up there? Um, no, that's Erasmus, one of um, his ancestors, so uh, the Darwins were already a, um, a sort of naturalist philosopher uh, family, um, in that they had um, Erasmus as, um, uh, as one of their forebears. The house is now decorated um, as a close reconstruction of what Down would have looked like in the time of Charles and Emma and their children. When, when were they here? So they bought the house in 1842. They lived here for 40 years until Darwin's death in 1882. Then Emma and the remaining children and grandchildren actually moved to Cambridge, but they still owned the house for another decade or so. Um, they used to come back for the summers but used to live in Cambridge the rest of the time. Um, and when Emma died in the late 1890s, that's when the house was sort of given up by the family. It was tenanted for kind of short period of time until eventually it became Down House School for Girls um, in 1907 uh, until 1921. And then that's when in 1921, uh, the school moved on to a larger premises because it had been successful. Um, and then there was a kind of period of when the house was mostly falling into disrepair. Lots of people in the scientific community were, rightly so, up in arms about this. Um, it was the British Association for the Advancement of Science who kind of rallied together a lot of scientists and uh, uh, a brilliant uh, gentleman called uh, George Buxton Brown actually um, stumped up the money to buy Down House and then it became a public museum from 1929. Okay, so that took about eight years or so, eight yeah. and a half years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a rather lovely um, ornament. Is it from the time or is it just there to kind of fill a space? Um, so it's from Dunelm, isn't it, <laughs> you're going to say now? <laughs> no, no, so across the house, um, we do have a number of kind of... Uh, objects which are similar to the inventories of the house that we're using to evoke the sense of um, Darwin's home. In 1929, Leonard, one of Darwin's children, was still living. And so it was actually Leonard who 
um, helped uh, the sort of people who were creating the museum and advised them on what we should um, what we should put back, how the walls should be decorated. Because remember, it's been a school, mm-hmm. so the actual the whole house has been jumbled around. Mm-hmm. You know, temporary walls have been put up and all sorts. And so, um, a combination of photographs taken by um, the Darwin family. Um, over the preceding decades when they had lived here and Leonard's recollections were what allowed um, the house to be reconstructed. Um, There have then been several uh, campaigns of um, even more uh, research that's gone into reconstructing um, certain areas of the house Um, and I suppose the place that's really stayed the most unchanged and really is the kind of the heart I would say, um, of the house is uh, just through that doorway there, which is Darwin's study. Ooh, that sounds like a natural segue. (laughs) (laughs) And we are literally walking into said study now. Oh, wow, it looks like he's uh, only... (laughs) That that wasn't an obstacle provided by English heritage. Um, Um, uh, So now we are standing in the study um, this was uh, hasn't been changed since 1929, so since um, the, the house opened as a museum. So it's a very kind of faithful reconstruction from the memories um, of uh, and photographs and memories of um, Darwin's son. Um, a lot of the furniture that you see throughout the house was actually um, given back by the family. So, for instance, you have this really unusual looking chair before you. Um, it kind of looks like an ordinary chair on top and then the bottom you've got these weird iron legs on wheels Um, and so this is a chair that was specifically adapted for Darwin to his own specifications Um, he wanted it to be he was a tall man I was going to say was he tall because that looks looks like you need a ladder to get onto it yeah Yeah, so he was um, over six foot about six one I believe very tall for the time yeah even for today yeah Um, and so he had it put on these are legs from an iron bedstead that have been attached to um to to kind of boost up the chair so it's at the correct height for him um and then in front of the chair you see uh this kind of writing board and so the way darwin liked to work and how he would have written the origin was sitting in this chair with the writing board sort of resting um on the on the arms of the chair and you can actually see where the arms of the chair have worn away Mm. from use um and so i think it's really uh this amazing tangible object of kind of where those words were actually written and you can kind of see see the effort that went into it and throughout this whole room you see little glass bottles that would have been um, used in his experiments you see Darwin's library behind me in these glass cases Um, and you also see things that again were uh, shall we say reused by the children for uh, for different uses so darwin kept a very strict daily routine he was a man he what did he say my life goes on but like clockwork um and i'm fixed to the spot where um it will end something like that but he he liked to you know get up at a certain time in the morning and do his work and then have lunch with the family and then go on his walk around the sandwalk which anthony will talk about later um but the children sometimes liked to uh slightly nudge this routine in some ways and one of the things that they used to do is sometimes come into the study get this uh footstool that you see which is um also on caster wheels um grab one of their father's um walking sticks of which there's one leaning against that chair and kind of use it as a gondola 
<laughs> instead of gondola themselves um, around the house. So uh, there were lots of examples of um, the children trying to distract Darwin from his work. Um, it seems to have been a household where everyone was very much involved with this Darwin's scientific work. Um, it's interesting to note that not everyone realises this, but Darwin never held a university position. He never had a salaried job. Um, he was independently wealthy due to his family, um, and that allowed him to essentially conduct all of his scientific work from home. Very nice, too. Very nice, too. It's almost like having had ten children, he's sort of practising, you know, sort of it's the uh, natural selection theory <laughs> in his own house, isn't it? <laughs> Tell you what, I love this mirror that we can see ourselves in here. Mm. It's got that um, patina of age to it, mm. and uh, it's reflecting back the books that are behind us as well. I mean, this is a proper study library uh, Victorian man cave. Yes, that's it, he, he liked it particularly because it had this um, northern light. Um, which uh, is quite strong and quite harsh, um, which he felt was very good for um, scientific work. Yeah. And it's one of the few aspects of the property that he actually did like. And he writes uh, to a family member saying that the, cap the study is a capital study. So he was already attracted by the space where he could work. Mm. Um, and also, what appealed was the unimpeded views through to the village. Because, as you've noticed, we're, we're out on a limb here. Mm. And so um, this way he felt more connected with the community because he could see the spire of the church. Oh, wonderful. Well, I don't know if these are um, mock-ups or real thing, but uh, you've got an envelope on the table there. C. Darwin-esque. Uh, <laughs> Down, Farnborough, Kent. Because back in those days, a lot less people. He was probably a major local celebrity, let alone his international status as well. I love the, uh, they've still got the old servants' bells with the, uh, the pulleys. Yes, there was lots of usage um, of bells um, throughout the house and lots and lots of letters. So that is the major way that Darwin um, communicated his scientific work. He did not much like going into London and giving lectures. And in fact, did he ever actually give a lecture or did he always get other people to read his lectures for him? I think he shunned attention. He was a really quite, I think it's fair to say, a self-deprecating man. And... Um, so you can imagine the burden of this whole big thing that he was about to unleash on, on the public. Um, and so that must have been a real conflict, an internal conflict for him. Mm. Wonderful. Is, is this your favourite room, or are we going to see that in a bit? Oh, from uh, the downstairs, at least. From the downstairs. No, this isn't my favourite room. Ooh. I would say the drawing room is, is my favourite. Is that your favourite chair? Yeah, it's my favourite chair. It's the best chair in the house. <laughs> Most unique chair in the house. Does anyone ever sit in it now? Uh, no, we actually have a replica for when uh, very important people such as David Attenborough have come to the house and had to um, and, and done work in this room and filmed in this room. We do have a special replica um, chair for people to sit in, but no, no one sits in Darwin's no, chair. No, I can imagine it's yeah. <laughs> well protected. Sounds like another thing I need to ask for permission for. <laughs> can, I, can I get us to sit in Darwin's imitation chair <laughs> imitation at some yes. point? Um, so we've got billiards and the dining room. Ooh, billiards. Uh, maybe it looks like people are in billiards. Yeah. So, so it's, okay, so this, this is the wedge one. Ah, oh, wow, look at that, it's absolutely stunning. Yeah, dining room. I must admit, I'm really enjoying this house. My favourite
virtually anywhere as Chartwell. Yeah. But yeah. this is pretty cool too. It is. <laughs> it has a good feel um, to it. It well, does. It feels warm. You can tell there's a lot of love in it. That's the mm. thing about Chartwell. It still feels like it's got family in it. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it and it's particularly eloquent when you go up to uh, in the study. Yeah, again. And they've got the cigar. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the stu- yeah, again, the study's the probably my favourite room in that house as well. Yeah. Though I do like the dining room there. But um, again, you've got and, and well, all these old houses, they just have so much history, even about, you know, when, when Churchill moved into that house, um, he discovered that there was actually um, a false ceiling put in, which he had removed, and it had all the old Tudor beams oh, wow. still. And so now, so he left it like that. So you've got, all, uh, and he's got a, a Union flag hanging from one of the rafters, and that was something special. It was flown over... Paris on like liberation. Oh yeah, or yeah. Something yeah like that. It, was, it was on the, uh, the tall building uh, there. I mean, yeah, that was an unofficial Bromley Buzz outing. We just yeah, went we just out went. for a good time. <laughs> we didn't interview anybody, but um, Sarah hadn't been before. And we're in the dining room. Uh, and uh, Sarah, you're just asking something. I was, yes. So we're in front of a rather stunning Wedgwood uh, dining service. And uh, what, what's the pattern on that? So um, the pattern is called Water Lily. Um, This was actually inherited by um, Darwin from his mother um, and, sorry, by Emma from her mother. And um, I suppose it connects back to that Wedgwood part of the family, but also the way we're displaying it here where we have much of it out, all the big soup terrines, is also indicative of the kind of household that the family kept. So it was a, um, a kind of boisterous celebratory house where they were often hosting guests. There were many, many Wedgwood cousins who would often come down to Down um, and often they would be, you know, 14, 16, 20, 22 people for lunch on a normal day. Um, and that would not be, I mean, the poor cook um, <laughs> would have been very <laughs> busy. <much> <laughs> um, but they always had people staying and they always had people visiting. And that's why we kind of had to have the table set out um, to indicate that today. Um, and we also have the beautiful aspect here out to the garden and these big windows mm. um, which were installed. Um, you really get the sense of how the family used um, the indoors and the outdoors together. And that's south-facing as well, isn't it? And you, so you, you have a very um, famous photo, actually, of um, this window kind of pushed up, um, Emma sitting there reading, various children arranged inside and outside, mm-hmm. kind of crowding around dogs. And I think that's very... Um, it's a good exemplar of, of how the household worked. There are some really beautiful things in this room. Uh, one of them is... Even looking at the chairs, the um, crafting, the woodwork on their carving is lovely. Uh, and I'm glad you told us about the party house aspect. So it looks like a very good wine cooler over there or something <laughs> of that description. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, that is. Um, Charles and Emma definitely would have celebrated Christmases in this room. Um, it would have been um, the heart of the home when it came to eating. Um, uh, we've, I've read up a bit about um, what they would have had for meals and also read some of the re- Darwin's reviews of various different cooks they had over the years. Um, one of them, I think Paul Mary, was sort of given some rather critical feedback about her cooking. Apparently it was only really the sweets that were, that were worth it. Um, 
But Darwin equally slightly terrorised his, uh, his cooks by using the kitchen sometimes to um, boil up specimens, particularly pigeons or little rabbits <laughs> for the skeletons. <laughs> and so they had to endure that whilst also, you know, trying to make lunch for 16. Oh, wow. By the way, if the Bromley Buzz team here were to get a bit thirsty, is there anything in the wine cooler? <laughs> <laughs> Alas, no. Probably, uh, you know, only a, a, a pest control trap. <laughs> <laughs> what what the, uh, the portraits on the wall? Um, Yes, so these are various, um, so this is another version of the Collier portrait. Um, So uh, John Collier, the artist, is probably the the artist who captured that really distinctive um, Darwin beard, the way that we generally think of him. as this distinguished kind of elder scientist. Um, And then you have multiple portraits um, of Erasmus as well. Um, And um, and this is an 18th century portrait, so going back even further into the family's history. So these have been kind of gathered here today uh, to give you an indication of um, the sort sort of thing that the Darwins would have owned, because Actually, Charles is highly unlikely to have a big portrait of himself. Actually, when you go to any historic house and you walk into the uh, into the kind of first room that you enter in, in the house and they have a massive portrait of whoever lived there, they almost never would have had that there. Well, you don't do it of yourself. You don't do, do you? it of yourself. So, yeah. I remember the um, wonderful BBC adaptation of Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth. You know, they go to his... Pemberley, his place, and there's this enormous picture of him up there, and uh, you just think, oh, what an egotist, and of course he is being. <laughs> <laughs> Some people might have, but um, generally people didn't have massive portraits I of I think themselves. that's what the aristocracy did, wasn't it? And I think, although they were very comfortable, they were sort of upper middle class, they yeah. certainly weren't aristocratic. Mm. Yeah, you would definitely have to say that in terms of the decoration of Down, um, uh, in terms of it wasn't cutting edge. It's very much a comfortable um, late Victorian style of decoration that they've gone for with the wallpaper, with the carpets and all that kind of thing. Not a show Um, home. Not a show home, a used family home. And also from the bills, because we have all of the kind of household record bills that Emma kind of kept kept a close eye on constantly repair work because the children are busting things and you know there there was uh it was a house that was well loved and well used and not precious hmm. that right. nice. would you like to show us uh, another downstairs yeah. room your, your favorite Should we go to the drawing room? Room? yeah because yeah. i know we've, we've gone on for a bit now Imagine if somebody broke some of that wood and stuff. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yes. it smells like someone's cooking something very nice as well. Yeah, that explains it. Oh, this is nice. Before I even get into the full length of it. Is this your favourite? Yes, this is my favourite room. Okay. Yeah, that's over the microphone. Um, so, your favourite? Yes, my favourite room in the house is the drawing room. This is where the family would have relaxed and come together. It's also the room in the house which I think is most clearly Emma's domain. Mm. So this is the room in which we have her beautiful um, grand piano. Emma was a talented pianist. Um, she actually took some lessons from Chopin in, from, in London in her youth and she taught all the children to play piano. Um, and so 
Darwin would have kind of sprawled out in one of these chairs um, of an evening and Emma would have played to him and the rest of the family. And that's how a kind of evening in the uh, in down house would have went. Um, also playing various games, looking at family albums. We have a um, family album out on the table here. Um, all sorts of, um, I suppose, your typical middle-class Victorian pursuits, really, that, that were happening in this room. Um, if we look towards the back of the room, I'm now looking at two small portraits um, hung either side of a landscape. Um, these two portraits are by an artist called George Richmond, and they are um, essentially marriage portraits of the young Charles and Emma. Um, so you have Charles on the right, Emma on the left, um, and these would have been done around the time that they got married um, in 1839. Um, Charles famously wrote this very funny list about um, the like, pros and cons of getting married. <laughs> Thankfully, the pros won, <laughs> and, um, um, and they were married and had a very happy partnership together. They were um, deeply in love um, and really enjoyed raising a, a family together. They, as I mentioned at the, at the top, um, they had 10 children, but only seven of them survived into adulthood. So um, they suffered some really intense losses um, in their lives. Um, they lost a child um, uh, just a couple of weeks um, after birth, um, and then they lost one of their daughters, Annie, at age 10, and that really, from tuberculosis, and that really um, sort of uh, put both Charles and Emma, and especially Charles, into really um, deep throes of grief. Um, and for Emma, life must have also been kind of interminably pregnant for about <laughs> for near or kind of almost two decades um they weren't actually especially young when they got married emma was around 30 um, and she had her last child in her mid-40s very unusual in those days yeah very unusual um but yeah they, they loved raising this family together in this house so much so that they you know they, they never wanted to leave this house the house just had to grow around them mm. Yeah, it's a truly beautiful room, and particularly with these views onto that lovely garden maintained by Anthony here. Mm. It's really nice. And the curtains, what fantastic flowery. Yes, you've got a real clash of, clash of florals here. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Um. Incidentally, it's all also my favourite room in the house. Yeah. There's just a real yeah. sense of family here. It, mm. it's, it's a very human room. Um, and you can just imagine being here in the evenings and... And, uh, and doing those sort of things mm. that Tessa was talking about, with the playing the piano and, and, uh, and backgammon and so on. And um, it just has a special feeling here. Mm. I would have to agree with that. So Tessa, tell us your favourite thing in, in the house. What's your most favourite object? Um, I don't think I could ever choose just one. Um, but for the purposes of today, I will. And I'm going to talk a little bit about the billiard table. So. Darwin suffered from quite ill health for a lot of his life, and he tried lots and lots of different things in order to improve his life, including cold showers, diets, all sorts of things. Um, and one of the things he tried was kind of recreational games, um, and billiards was one. Um, and so he had a billiard table installed in the house, and he was very excited about it, and he wrote to his son that he was you know, thrilled and that this was really working out for him. Um, and so what he would do is he would ring one of the bells and he would say, pass low, 
And Parslow, the butler, would come running, and he was the, their butler for many decades, very kind of uh, dedicated um, member of the wider um, Darwin uh, community. Um, and they would play whenever he wanted to. Um, and the billiard table also sometimes got co-opted for other uses. So any large flat surface, I think, to Darwin was, oh, maybe I could use that for experiments. <laughs> so he would also sometimes um, lay out various experiments um, on this table too. So recreational, mixing business and pleasure um, on the billiard table. On the billiard table. Is this the original billiard table? Yes. 